Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisbee. Well, a house is a commodity, kind of. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio. I'm Dominic Frisby and this week we're talking property in the UK. Will it continue moonwards? Are things levelling off? Or are we headed down the same slippery, rocky, pear-shaped slope as the US? My guests are Merrin Somerset-Webb, editor of Money Week, property economist John Rigglesworth, private investor Michael Hampton, and first up, it's estate agent John Woosley of Lorestons. A reminder that you can subscribe to this show via iTunes. Click on the subscribe with iTunes button on the left of your screen and have programs automatically sent to your iPod or computer as soon as I upload them. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Well, no property show would be complete without the view of an estate agent. And John Woosley, until recently the manager of their Fulham branch, is now the manager of Lauriston's in Putney. John, welcome to the show. Um, let's talk about Fulham, as it's probably a, a pretty good bellwether for London as a whole. Um, will you describe the last 18 months to us? Did you, did you notice a big change after August 2005 when the Bank of England lowered the rates? Oh, God, yes. The change uh, was dramatic, and, and pretty much everyone was affected by it. Um, we've had uh, property prices doing nothing but rise, 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 rise. And uh, Fulham being what it is, that is a relatively small uh, postcode in London, um, a lot of property, though, uh, mostly um, flats, uh, but still a good number of houses, uh, but what's been happening is that uh, so many, um, the demand has been so great that, uh, that there hasn't been enough property to, to cater for it. The agents are really, really short of their stock all the time, you know, literally climbing over each other to, um, uh, to outbid each other to get the instruction. Um, the, the problem being, of course, that a, a vendor... Uh, or let's say a potential vendor, reluctant to come onto the market because they themselves couldn't find. Uh, the reason for that is that that uh, other potential vendor, um, the, the, the next step up, couldn't find either. And so we've got uh, a situation where um, no one really wanting to come on the market because they can't find, and so the market is sucked, so to speak, into a vacuum. Uh, with no one really wanting to sell. Now, with these uh, gentle rate rises that we've seen over the last few months, have you noticed any slowdown, more properties on the market? Well, hardly, hardly gentle, Dominic. You know, I mean, the, the, I suppose we, we have suspected that they were coming, but I don't see anything, you know, particularly subtle or gentle about uh, the, a, a rise in the borrowing of, of money by 20-25%, which is effectively what's happened. Um, as a result of that, yes, I mean, the market has been tamed a bit. By how much has it been tamed, would you say? Uh, well, okay, no, no, I mean, it, it's quite apparent. Um, go, go back sort of two, three months. In fact, let's go back to the beginning of the year. 
the whole world and its mother wanted to get into the market and we would take on a property in Fulham uh, at a figure uh, at least as high as any other agent had valued it. Um, we'd, we'd have a certain method of marketing usually for, for, for the bigger houses. And uh, we, would, we would work on the idea of attracting maximum interest to the property. And it was the interest itself that would create a synergy that would carry the, the value of the property uh, above what we initially stated. So several people bidding on it, um, it goes for more than what we were asking. Um, that now is not happening. Uh, the market has, has risen to a level, I think, that the first-time buyers um, uh, are pretty much uh, at their limits. Uh, couple that with the, the dramatic rise in the interest rates, which is an additional, as I said, 20% in the cost of borrowing. Um, and again, the scarcity of property and people just getting fed up with looking, 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 not finding anything. And of course, we've now got the holiday season upon us. So, quieter and the market tamed. Are you seeing parallels between now and, say, 2005 before the uh, uh, interest rate d reduction? Um, no, I wouldn't say that exactly. Uh, the the, the, the market in 2005 was, was still strong. We still believed it was going to go up, or as state agents did. Um, I think the general uh, consensus of opinion now between the state agents is that we are at uh, a level that we can't go any higher. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that the prices are going to come down. Hold on, let me just explain that. The, the prices, um, I'm talking about the value of property, the level at which we strike the deal. Um, the actual prices, the asking prices, have still continued to rise because um, some agents believe there's a, there's a momentum still to the market and they're valuing accordingly. There is no momentum. As I said, it, it, it stopped. Um, but the asking prices are going to have to come down. That level between where we strike the deal and the asking price, we, a lot of us call the froth at the top of the market, and that's got to come down. Um, the, well, the, 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 the worry is that it, it, will, it will give the, the media um, the, the, the effect that the market is falling, and they will report it as such. You know, oh, God, market's collapsing, you know, we're all doomed and so on, which they, they love stating. Um, I don't see that as actually happening, though, in real life. No, it is simply the, marking, the asking price is being marked down to, to the more realistic level. You, you were working between 1989 and 1994. I was indeed, yeah, yeah. Been in the market since early 88. I mean, do you see what are the parallels and similarities between, say, late 89 and now? Uh, well, we're, we're in different markets. Um, it, first of all, okay, supply and demand is, is generally the, the reason why the market is, is affected and the way it moves. But uh, back in 88, uh, the tail end of 88, we had um, uh, the withdrawal of the um, multiple tax relief, and it was down to the property rather than several people buying. Plus, of course, there have been massive rises. Plus, there was a naivety um, amongst the lenders, uh, banks and building societies. They, they would literally lend to anyone without checking them out. Are they not doing something similar now? Um... They, <laughs> very good question. Um, yes, uh, they don't mind so much now. Uh, the, 
that, that's another issue, but still, I'll, I'll deal with what you just said. Um, yeah, the, you would think that the building societies are being somewhat reckless in, in uh, allowing six and a half times the joint income, mm -hmm. whereas before you could barely stretch to three times the joint income. Um, building societies uh, like to appear um, helpful and benign and uh, have come up with this scheme to say that they're, they're helping first-time buyers get on the property market, etc., they don't care, quite frankly. You know, they simply want to lend the money. They've made uh, so much money over the last couple of years. They're, they're awash with funds. They want it to go out. And the, 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 the fact that first-time buyers um, uh, can be lulled into the market, uh, all the better, because if they can't pay their mortgage and the property gets um, uh, clawed back, uh, then so, so much better for the building society. You know, they're not going to lose. They will not lose by it. And when they, when they lend this money, uh, six, five to six times joint income, their conditions, I mean, it's not, you, you never get 100% on it. You've got to have 20 or 25% of the value of the property to put down yourself. You've got to be in a certain income bracket, uh, the two of you, um, at least 50,000 a year. And, uh, but then, you know, hell, all things can go belly up. You could lose your job. Uh, you can't get another one. And you're, there you are sitting on this massive mortgage and um, it can be uh, reclaimed and because you've uh, put down 20-25% of your own money into it, well, they're not, you know, the building society aren't going to lose, are they? Because they take the value of the property. No. So it's okay. It's, it's a safe investment for them. They're fine. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to um, the, the parallels between uh, now and 89 and the uh, differences. Fine, yeah, we've got a, a different market now. In, in 89, uh, they would still uh, lend to anybody. The, the, uh, the, the, the buyers would actually club together to buy a property, not just to get the multiple tax relief, but the, 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 the previous years, the property market had done nothing but increase 15, 20, 25% per year. So you could take out a 100% mortgage, and a year later you've got... 25% equity, which has materialized out of thin air on your property. Um, it, was a, it was a very um, uh, attractive and addictive thing to do, uh, all spurred on, of course, by you know, Thatcher and the government and the policies then. But what we have uh, now um, is a market that has, it's a mature market. You know, it's, it's gone on and on and on uh, over the years, ever since the previous market fell. Hang on, let's go back there again. Um, 88, 89, uh, they switched off the multiple tax relief. That turned off the interest on the market, and buyers were at their limit anyway, could no longer afford it. Uh, then the interest rates rose, and I'm talking, you know, quite high interest rates. I mean, they're totally uh, uh, different levels to what they are now. Um, you could, uh, they were sort of 12, 13, 14 percent at that time. I think they even hit 16. Uh, they did. That was, uh, I think that was in the early 90s they went up that high. But um, uh, certainly the, 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 the people simply couldn't afford the market then. And so, of course, yes, it started going down. And it sort of gathered momentum on the way down as all the horrendous stories came out of people getting repossessed, etc. And uh, some, some people were worse off than others. Um, those who bought on uh, properties with down factors, for example. 
uh, by down factors, I mean on busy main roads, above restaurants and uh, railway tracks and all that sort of thing. Uh, those properties, those properties uh, dropped in value far more than the others did. And, and so, yes, they suffered. So, and as a result of that, a lot of building societies won't lend on properties above um, uh, shops and restaurants and things because they they remember way back then that uh, those were the hardest properties to, to, to resell once they had repossessed them. They are lending on those kind of properties now, aren't they? Uh, yes, but in the, you know, whereas you'd have pretty much uh, every lender, and let's face it, there are over 300 of them, uh, would lend on pretty much anything. Uh, nowadays, uh, on a property above a restaurant, you might find half a dozen that would lend. Oh, really? It's that, it's that small a number? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm talking, say... Um, uh, don't get this wrong because I love curry, you know, but uh, to actually live above um, a, an Indian restaurant is not attractive for a prospective buyer. And uh, when, you're, when you've repossessed a property and you're putting it back on the market as a lender in a falling market, um, you've really got to drop in order to make it attractive. So even though there is some loose lending going on now, you would say that it was looser back in the late 80s? Yeah, it was looser because uh, they didn't know then what they know now. They've actually learned now. But remember, for many people, like I'm, I'm 37 years old, John, and I bought my first flat in 1994. I've never known a bear market in property. No, you haven't, because the, the, the bear market changed in 93, February 93. But my point is, for anyone under the age of about 37, 38, property only goes up. Absolutely. That, that's true, and that was uh, the way people were thinking um, during the 80s. It can only go up, it can only go up. Uh, it was a dreadful shock when, when it went the other way. And uh, for me, as uh, an agent and a valuer of properties, um, it was extraordinary to think that uh, I could go into um, a, a vendor's property, value it, uh, but actually have to come in at a figure somewhat lower than the property that I'd sold, um, you know, the month before. Mm -hmm. uh, th that's uh, a strange thought now when you, you think, well, I sold that, I sold, sold this for, you know, 500 last month, so this must be 500 plus X now with the market going up. So, yeah, and that, that's how, and there again, you see, um, that's what estate agents, again, have been doing. They, they don't know a bear market. They've done, I'm talking generally, of course, you know, there's some old dogs like me who are still around. But the, uh, the general um, market, uh, estate agents and their valuing, is that uh, it's done nothing but rise, rise, rise. They don't know how to speak to a vendor in a way that uh, is negative, negative values. You know, sorry, Mr. Vendor, your property is going down. They, they, it's just impossible. They can't, they can't put that across. Let me ask you a question, John, and this is on the subject of what is driving up prices in London. How many of your buyers are foreign, and in particular Russian? Um, yes. Uh, well, w sadly for me, I'm not in the 20 million plus pound bracket as far as houses go. Uh, but there, are, um, there is a lot of Russian money around. Uh, I believe that 20-25% of uh, the properties above 20 million uh, will go to Russian buyers. 
What about um, houses in, say, two th- the two to five million pound bracket, you know, the big family homes? Yeah. Are you getting Russian inquiries about them, or is this really just a super rich phenomenon? No, not in Putney, all right, I must say. Fulham? Um, in Fulham, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I doubt it very much. But, I mean, when um, you were there, you weren't got... getting them. When I was there, no, I, I used to get the the, the odd uh, Russian calling up and so on. But there again, they they tend to be in in the the, the, the very high market. That's the one that the, the, that's, that was my point. So who, who's yeah. driving up the what's the word the upper middle class homes in Fulham and Putney? This is you know. Um, well, yes, no, there is. No, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of foreign money coming in. It's not always recognisable as to precisely where it's coming from. As an agent, that is, and we don't necessarily delve too far in that. We allow the solicitors to to uh, accept that, and of course, we do require a certain amount of proof that the the money is not hasn't been laundered. Um, but apart from that, uh, we, we don't know precisely where the money comes from. Uh, generally speaking, though, um, the, the, the country, England, uh, is a very desirable place for foreign money. The, the history of the property market over the last um, two, three, four generations has been safe and rising. The odd blip, we can say, but on the whole, it's, it's been a fantastic investment. Uh, you look at uh, the most desirable area of um, the British Isles to be, and of course it's the uh, southeast. In fact, it's inside the M25. And when you consider, <coughs> excuse me, areas like uh, Fulham, Chelsea, Battersea, Putney, these are main target areas for city money. All these guys who get these wonderful um, guys and girls, let me say, get these fantastic city bonuses. Uh, pretty much every penny once they've, you know, bought their silly cars and things, they all come into the property, property market. First-time buyers, are you seeing a lot of them? Do they, uh, are there many who haven't got help from mum and dad? Uh, first-time buyers, uh, have been finding it really, really difficult. And, uh, generally people have been saying, how on earth can they afford it? Uh, the ones that do buy. And yes, certainly uh, to a great extent, the market has been funded there by uh, parents who may have bought their, the family home, you know, some years back, uh, and it would have cost them considerably less than, say, some tiny little studio that you can buy today. Uh, they take out some equity from the family home, and it is invested back into the market at the first-time buyer level. So interesting, really, because the, the market itself is feeding itself. Are you getting a lot of buy-to-letters still buying? Uh, that's interesting, isn't it? The buy-to-let market's always been fascinating. Uh, the, the fact is that the, the, um, the market has risen so much that anyone buying a property now is not going to get anything like the income uh, yields that they were getting. Uh, however, still people, you know, do buy, the, buy them because they know that there's, or there has been, there's a history of uh, equity increase in the property. Um, and so rather than perhaps finance a, uh, a pension plan, um, they, they put the money into subsidizing um, a, a buy-to-let, subsidizing the difference uh, on the income yield. And uh, in two, three, four years' time, the, the property equity value has risen considerably. Not so the rent, I might add. The, the, the rental market uh, is, is sort of held back by its own 
nature of being a letting market. Uh, I, by that I mean that um, uh, a property is let and uh, agreed for a year at a, at a fixed figure, at a fixed income, rental income. It's more closely linked to what people are actually earning, isn't it, to actual salaries? Oh, yeah. Yes, that, that's, that is very true. But the, my point being, though, that the property market can, um, can go up uh, on a daily basis. The sales market can increase daily, whereas the rental market, you, you're fixed there for a year. And because um, <clears throat> people uh, rent properties throughout the year on a you know, daily basis, monthly basis, the, 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 the rents sort of hold themselves back. Agents uh, are not... Uh, overly keen to increase rents or to push them up too high because it makes it more difficult to get the tenants. And uh, the tenants will find a, a cheaper property elsewhere. So it does hold itself back. Um, and that's why we've probably had maybe 2, 3, 4 percent uh, uh, rises uh, in the rental market, uh, whereas in property it can be 15 to 25 in a year. And uh, what's your outlook, John, for the next couple of years? Uh, well, we've got this uh, transitory period that we're going through now, all right, where we've got uh, the markets in some kind of limbo. Uh, it's got to find its, uh, the asking prices have got to come down. Um, I think we're going to have a quiet uh, summer, or low volume summer, uh, and then we're going to see some interest back in, in September and to the end of the year uh, as the level would have established itself again or let's say made itself known and uh, there would be more properties coming on and more buyers and more, more volume. Um, over the next uh, couple of years, well, I think some of that's going to be down to the interest rates and the buying power of people and um, how our government uh, sorts itself out. Uh, I, I don't think the market's going to rise by any large amounts, but certainly we're, we're going to be probably between 5, 10, 15 percent uh, increase per annum. Nothing huge, uh, but, but no drop from where we are. I don't, I don't see it going down. Because in, in a way, it's almost like having a dating agency and a estate agency. You're, you're, you're matching people to property in the same way as a dating agency would match people to people. But they fall in love with the properties in the same way, and they, they may um, find uh, that the property has a fault after they've bought it, but uh, they, they will forgive it. They will forgive that fault. They may be indeed, you know, love it as a result of it, the same as someone, you know, once they've met and fallen in love and suddenly the wind blows the hair back and the ears stick out a little bit more than you thought. But, well, <laughs> you don't mind, do you, you know? I love you for your leaking pipes. <laughs> well, that can be fixed, you know. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I hope you mean leaky pipes in the property sense. I do mean it in the property Good. sense. Okay. John Woosley, uh, thank you very much. As we close, why don't you give out uh, the website for Lauriston so that uh, people can find out a bit, bit more about you. And uh, I'm sure they'll be delighted to hear such an open and honest estate agent. They're not normally uh, traits that you would associate with that profession. So thank you very much. Uh, well, it's been my pleasure. Uh, you can get in touch with <coughs> Lauriston's on our website, www.lauriston's.com. Commodity Watch Radio at mindsight.com.
I'm sitting now with John Rigglesworth, property economist and uh, managing director of Rigglesworth Consultancy, and uh, Michael Hampton is with me as well, and we're going to discuss the property markets. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. And welcome, Michael. There we go. Listeners can now identify which of you is who. And um, you came out with a great line earlier this year, John, which was there's more chance of Elvis being found on the moon than there is of a property crash in London this year. Um, Have you changed your opinion now that the uh, interest rates seem to be creeping up? Not at all. And um, I can remind you that I have been using that line for about five years now. Whilst pessimists in the market, I think ranges from Dr. Doom to um, Capital Economics to David Miles, have been forecasting 20%, 30% or even 40% house price crashes for the last five years. So, so far, I've got it right. Okay, I'll sit my neck out for the next few months and say, yes, there is no chance of a property crash this year. Is your work uh, showing any signs of a, I mean, last year was meteoric. Have you seen any signs of a slowdown at least this year? Slightly. I mean, the house prices are still running at an annual rate of around 10% per annum at the moment. Mm-hmm. There is some evidence of a slowdown, but I don't think that we're heading for anything like negative inflation, not for at least the next two years, beyond which I I'm, I'm wouldn't be confident of forecasting. What's driving the market? Demand. Uh, certainly not... Um, I mean, obviously supply is restricted, you've got the green lobby, builders are not building enough property... But what has happened is because interest rates, despite the recent rises, have reduced from the heights of 15% when the last recession occurred, um, lenders are showing event, well, have only just recently understood that people can afford higher and larger mortgages with interest rates of 5%, which is what the typical fixed rate mortgage rate is now, um, compared with 15%. So whereas three and a half times income five years ago was a typical lending ratio, lenders are now very happy to do six times income, and I'm predicting seven times income next year. And it's a very simple theory. If lenders are willing to, to lend ever more amounts of money to buyers, they can afford more expensive homes, and that gives you the demand that supports this higher level of house prices. Um, I certainly agree with that argument. My, my question would be that... Uh, what if interest rates go up? A quarter percent here, quarter percent there, just as long as around the quarter percent, and no one's predicting much more than a half percent in the future, mm-hmm. then I think we do have an issue. If we have a two percent increase in interest rates, any chance of housing market booming is gone, and I will absolutely agree with a crash scenario. There's not a single economist on the planet that's predicting two percent increase in interest rates. From where we are now? From where we are now. Yeah. Um, and also, this drip, drip, call percent, call percent, call percent, doesn't seem to be having the work, uh, having the kind of the, the effect of slowing things down sufficiently. I think it's probably the wrong strategy. I think last time we showed that a half percent rise. So I like the frog in the pan. Mm-hmm. If you turn the heat slowly with a frog in the pan, it doesn't jump out. It doesn't notice the heat's going up. Mm-hmm. It just stays there, and it has no effect, and it eventually withers and the afraid dies. Turn it up sharply, and it jumps out, and you get the desired effect that you get rid of the frog. Same with the housing market. I think the Bank of England is going to have to risk a strategy which it did about two, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. have a speech. The Bank of England government in 2004 did a speech up in Scotland saying there might be a risk of house prices falling, there might be a risk of interest rates having to go up. That scared the pants of everyone and the housing market actually did go into a wobble for about six or seven months. Mm-hmm. But then, <coughs> August 2005, he put them down. What, I don't think he, they did put him down in 2005. August know. 2005, down by a quarter of a percent. That's right. Uh, but Merv did vote against it, but they did... 
Yes, well, it's obviously... <coughs> the point is, I don't think that 4% reduction did much. Consumer confidence, um, I think, built up over... I think there was a period of, was it 2005 to 2000, August 2006, when yeah. interest rates didn't change, if, that, if my memory is right. That's, that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, and I think what's happened is because lenders through that period were going up from, from four times income to five times income, mm -hmm. you've got to understand, if you look at all the graphs of multiples of income that lenders lend, three years ago, four times income, shock, horror, too much. Two years ago, five times income, shock, horror, too much. Five is now common. It is real release of demand. And people are forgetting that, that this huge demand does allow people to buy more expensive homes. The more credit that's available, the more money there is to spend. There's no doubt about that. But at what point does the lending become irresponsible? Um, it is, if you believe that interest rates may rise another 2%, it's irresponsible now if they're on variable rate mortgages because obviously they're exposed. Mm -hmm. And that will really hurt people and we will have a problem. But as I say, my prediction, and I think the majority of the market, is that interest rates will not go up more than half percent. And most people are thinking another quarter percent might do it, as far as I'm aware. Okay. And that's not going to destroy the housing market, in my view. Let me turn to you, Michael. You, you, uh, you're a very active investor and you follow uh, money supply growth and those kind of figures. Do you think uh, interest rates need to rise more than half a percent? Well, I think there's a chance, maybe a good chance, they will rise that much. But I don't think we need to see that for the property market to go into a slide. Um, what I'm looking at is I look at things differently from John. I tend to look at cycles, and I think we're quite late in the day on this cycle. And uh, what is a feature of this cycle is where the demand is coming from. There is demand out there, but I see the demand as speculative demand from people who want to buy property. It's not coming from first-time buyers. And it's not really coming um, from people who can easily afford to pay for the debt they're borrowing to buy places. I'm reminded of the old story of the man who buys a 10,000-pound dog, and his friend comes along and says, you pay 10,000 pounds for a dog? That's crazy. And he says, well, I didn't actually pay for it in cash. I paid for it with two 5,000-pound cats. So what's going on here is people are paying a lot of money for property because they're selling their old places for a lot of money. So that's one element of demand. Another element of demand is, is from buy-to-let. And that buy-to-let part of demand is a very important part. I think it's probably up around 25 30% now. John would know the figure better than me. And the past, that's been a lot lower. And a very important element of demand was from first-time buyers. That used to be 25 to 30%, and it's now less than half of that. So the demand from people who are getting on the ladder just isn't there anymore because they can't afford it. John, there's a uh, ratio between what people earn and how expensive house prices are, and that ratio is at the biggest it's been for quite some time. Do you see any significance in that? No, I think the house price-to-earnings ratio or house price-to-incomes ratio um, is used by pessimistic economists to say there's a housing market crash imminent because obviously we are now probably at record high. I think it's about six and a half times income if you look at the Halifax figures compared with a high of 3.8 times income when the last recession occurred back in 1988-89. Um, and obviously that does look pretty um, high and therefore vulnerable to fall back to a, a long-term average. The point is it doesn't rely on interest rates. It mixes a stock, which is a house price, with a flow, which is an income. When you analyse the ability of companies to afford um, debt, you either look at a gearing ratio, which is liabilities against capital or assets, or interest cover, which is cash flow against the amount of interest that you pay. Only stupid economists 
will mix up the stock and the flow, which is the house price incomes ratio. Because interest rates and mortgage rates are now typically 5%, and that's with, you know, for two or three years, and you can get long-term fixed rates for about five and a half, six, compared with 15% mm-hmm. 15 years ago, right, it seems to me that, of course, the house price incomes ratio moves up. If it didn't, we'll be all nuts. So I say that spending six times income at 6% for six years is far safer than lending three and a half times income at 15% variable is absolutely you know, irresponsible because you know, that really does expose people. Your um, argument, if I uh, can summarise it or if I, if I understand it correctly, is it's basically dependent on the interest rate levels, what happens in property. And I would suggest that in order to get inflation under control, interest rates need to go up. If interest rates have to go up by 1%, I'd say 1% or 2%, yeah. that kind of measure of increase, then all my optimism arguments go out the, out the window. Um, a 1% or 2% interest, it's a great, you know, that will really involve a high percentage increase in monthly repayments for everyone that's got mortgages, and it will certainly put the um, kind of mortgages that are required to buy houses at these levels out of the reach of any new buyers, which you do need to support the market. So absolutely, uh, 1%, 2%, Increased interest rates, we have a housing market correction, and I would actually hazard to say, yes, even a crash. But you find me an economist that looks you straight in the eye and says there will be a 1% increase in the foreseeable future in interest rates. I defy you. There's none that exists. Well, but I'm not an economist. Yes, I was, <laughs> totally agree with you. Do, you. do you have kids? Yes. How, how old are they? Oh, I've got a whole range going from 22 to 8. So the 22-year-old, is, is he bought his first, or is he, he or she, he. sorry, uh, he, has he bought his uh, first flat yet? Absolutely no way, because I refuse to buy it for him. How's he going to get on the ladder if you don't buy but it for I'm, him? Oh, I think that's the way it happens nowadays. I think inherited wealth is a key part of what is happening in terms of supporting first-time buyers. First-time buyers, without the help from their parents, who've enjoyed this wealth effect, um, have no chance. I mean, you could say it's, a kind of, it's, it's like a building a foundation on sand, where basically using the equity of the, of the older generations to finance the ridiculously high prices for the future generations. But at the moment, right, however you kind of look at it, there is enough demand to support these prices. And if you look at arrears statistics and position statistics, which are an indicator that people can't afford the required repayments for the required mortgage for the required house prices, there is no evidence of really significant increases. You know, they're still very low comparatively. So I think... There is no evidence of stress in debt levels in, the, in terms of this nation. Mm-hmm. Sure, debt levels are 1.3 trillion, whatever it is, hugely high, but the servicing levels are not. There's yeah. no evidence of pain. But in order to get these debt levels under control, surely they have to rise the interest rates, or raise the interest rates, I should say. Again, a quarter percent, which is expected this week, I don't think it's going to have enough effect. If they said 1%, um, I'll go to the side of the. Um, I'll go onto the dark side and say it's all going to end in tears. <laughs> Are property prices at these <coughs> levels healthy for the country? I think if interest rates stay, you know, for me, it's a, it would move to a higher equilibrium plane. I don't believe in rational expectations. I don't believe people understand the fact that the debt levels in this kind of uh, interest scenario are going to remain high in real terms over years, whereas in the 70s and 80s, debt levels were reduced. I don't believe all people look at is how much of my present income can I afford to pay mortgage repayments. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's, you can afford to have mortgages three times higher than you did 15 years ago. If you can have mortgages three times higher relative to your income, then 
15 years ago, you can afford more expensive homes, there's yep. no pressure for them to fall. It's simple as that. I, I, I understand that argument, and I'm being... Are you about to say something, Michael? <laughs> it was more of a note for myself. Oh, okay. But, uh, what, what, what I was writing down here is some issues which are influencing the demand right now, which I think are very temporary. Um, one is that, uh, let's go back to when the market really started running up, which was back in 2005. I mean, there was a pause, I think we can all agree, about 2004 to 2005, middle of 2005, there was a nice pause in the market. Some of us, myself included, thought that was the beginning of something more serious on the downside, and it didn't happen. And I think it's interesting to look back and see why it didn't happen. And before doing that, I just want to mention where, where the cycles did get it right, uh, my cycles in particular, was in the U.S. We saw a peak in the U.S. market, uh, in, the, in the builders actually, and they peaked before the actual house prices. We saw a peak in the builders back in July 2005, and subsequently we've seen a sharp drop. They've now dropped something like 50 to 70 percent from their highs. And following them down about 9 to 12 months later was house prices in the U.S., so the builders peaked first in the middle of 2005. House prices peaked about a year later. There have now been 10 consecutive or 11 consecutive months of price falls in the U.S., and prices in the U.S. have now dropped the most since the 1930s. Now I want to look and see what happened in the, in the U.K. Can I just say, sure. I know when America sneezes, England catches the rest of the world catches a cold, but just because they've gone down in the States, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll go down here. Well, there can be a contamination effect. That wasn't my, my actual point. My okay. point was more about the pattern in the U.S. might be followed here. I see. But yes, there can be a contamination effect. If it happens, it will be because banks and investors get burned in the U.S., and therefore they become less aggressive here, more conservative here, and they tighten lending policies. I think John would agree if the banks, I think your scenario has them continuing to become more loose, yes. if instead they become more tight, that may put the market in some jeopardy. That's my theory. But looking at the pattern, the pattern that um, we saw in the, in the UK was the UK did not follow the US down. Instead, it held up. And the interesting question is, why did that happen? Um, my belief is we had four influences, and that's what I was writing down here. First of all, we had the rate cut, August 2005, quarter percent rate cut. Secondly, we had a big increase in money supply. In 2006, M4 rose by over 14%. What's interesting is that is continuing to go up. So that would support John's view that the banks will continue to be aggressive because the money's around. The banks have it to lend. There's a lot of money supply. This does not support the bear case, but I don't think it's... I think that you know there are enough bearish elements there that even if, if the money supply continues to grow, there's a good chance we'll see a slide in property prices. I might come back to why I think that. But just to finish these four points, mm -hmm. the third point that we saw since t 2005 was we saw banks being very aggressive in their lending. We talked about this briefly, but banks are lending a lot more against property than they used to. And the prime beneficiaries of this are people who already own property and are gearing up on what they've got, and also the buy-to-let. Uh, segment of the market. And I see a lot of speculation on the buy-to-let side. I see people borrowing money, buying property as something to go into their pensions, and accepting yields on that property, which are far below what's needed to service the debt. A number of buy-to-let people are now experiencing negative cash flows, and they're subsidizing this from existing properties, or they're subsidizing this from their income. I don't see how that can go on. It's very speculative and very dangerous. 
The fourth thing we've seen is what I call speculative hype. A good example of this is all the property shows you see on the telly here. Lots of um, shows about how you can make a lot of money by buying property at auction or buying property in the market, tarting it up and reselling it, or tarting it up and running it. And I think that's helped to build speculative hype in the market, and I don't see that going on either. So even if the money supply continues, I think we can see a turn because the banks will change their lending habits, and they may change them rather soon. I'm very lucky. I, I, this is completely by virtue of when I was born, but I bought my first flat in 1994, shortly after I left university, and through complete chance caught the bottom of the bear market, and I couldn't have bought it at a better time. And that property was a flat in Fulham, and it's risen um, every year at exactly the same rate as the money supply growth, which is an interesting uh, correlation, I think. Um, John, do you have any clients who have significant properties in the States? And what uh, are they saying? Well, I have investment banks which are exposed to um, estates like Lehman's, and not bad deals. I think Bear Stearns has been quite bitten in terms of fish yeah. funds and exposure to the mortgage-backed security market. Um, but there is a lot of kind of concern. I mean, I, I think... The circumstances over here, well, I don't think we're going to have a subprime, subprime crisis at the moment. Mm. However, having said that, um, we are probably going through a cycle a year or two years behind the States. Now, if you have my scenario that lenders are continuing to relax their criteria, mm -hmm. and the, one of the biggest growth areas in the mortgage market today is subprime, which is the lending to people who really probably shouldn't be lent to, self-cert, yeah, basically where there's no real kind of worry about whether they can afford it, you just give mm -hmm. it to them anyway, and there's a property there to back it, and that subprime market is going like the bundle of money. That's still pretty rampant, is it? The yeah, and, and there's so many competitors in there now, and literally in the last 10 years, all the major investment banks, you know, the Lehman's, your Citigroup, your um, Morgan Stanley, your Merrill Lynch, mm -hmm. are all investing millions in specialist lenders lending money out in England uh, to people who are at the worst end of their mm -hmm. debt credibility. And uh, that is obviously supporting demand for property. Mm -hmm. um, interest rates to say have not gone up. Now what I am predicting is if I am right, at seven times income, right, is going to be normal, say, next year or so, that's where I think we are on the edge of the downturn. Now, when you are seven times income, I think the interest rate sensitivity in terms of the ability, you know, the, the, the fact that a 1% interest rate rise when you're seven times income exposed mm -hmm. is going to have a hard, much, much higher effect than a four or five times income. So I would absolutely agree that the ever-increasing um, relaxation of uh, credit criteria will not carry on forever. And when it eventually turns, when lenders start getting worried about arrears levels going up because perhaps interest rates will come up 1%, and, and do, as we were previously discussing, start squeezing back the lending criteria from seven times income, we have a compounding effect. Interest rates up, multiples back down again, and woof, demand for properties suddenly gets a shock. And that could send the housing market back into a, a kind of a downward spiral, which I'm quite ready to admit could be 10, 20, or even 30%. I suppose what I'm saying is not that the housing market will never have a cycle again, because I just don't predict it for the next year or the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. Do you have, well, I'm going to ask you two questions. Firstly, going back to this question of the self-certain mortgage, 
Do you remember a few years ago there was a, I think it was the Money Programme, did a big expose on the self-cert mortgage, and uh, as a result, that area of the market dried up. It's obviously not dried up for that long. It oh, no, it's, it's there, it's there, and it's, um, it's totally healthy and growing fast. The subprime market, but which is, you know, it's the kind of bad credit end of the market, is one of the fastest growing uh, markets in the mortgage market today. And who are the major lenders? Who are the, which are the companies? And are they listed? And how do I short them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that you should short them because some of these are my clients, but um, they're, they're this, basically a lot of the specialist arms are the investment banks. So um, you, know, you have ADEAS, which is backed by Oakwood and uh, Merrill Lynch. You have Mortgages PLC, backed by Merrill Lynch. You have three brands of Lehman's, like Preferred Mortgages. You have Future, which is owned by Citigroup. You have all these American investment banks. Most of these, by the way, are not that old, pouring money into the subprime sector. And then you've got the existing lenders, the traditional ones like Hanifax, who have BM Solutions. You have Bradford Bingley, which has Mortgage Express, all of which are absolutely specialist lenders in this area. Do you not think this American money will, will stop coming in if they get their fingers burnt in the States? I think at the moment the investment banks understand there's a difference between the States and the uh, UK. And I can tell you there's no evidence of them pulling. In fact, because there's <laughs> reduced opportunities of investment in the States, it might actually, um, actually increase their um, interest in the, in, in the um, UK. Um, I can see the UK following the States if interest rates go up yeah. and, and it goes too far in terms of people being able to afford their mortgages. Um, but at the moment, I think um, there is no let up in the, in the appetite for investment banks from the States to invest in the, property market, in, in, in the mortgage market over here. And are you seeing continued investment from um, buy-to-let buyers? Yes, there is no let up to buy-to-let. Despite the reduced yields? Absolutely. Um, as was said just a moment ago, people are anticipating higher increases in prices and they don't seem to care a damn about the reduced yields. Their, their, their investment decision is becoming more in the hope and expectation that property prices will go up and therefore the return will be through capital appreciation as, and then they're quite happy to suffer a lower yield. I see. Now, what about the, the great Russian buyer that is propping up, uh, putting up uh, the prices in London? Is this something you've had any experience of? Well, the great Russian buyer. Well, we've got the great Russian buyer like Abronovich, right, who might just make the £12 million property go up to £20 million without kind of worrying about you know, anything to do with finances. And there are lots of rich Russians and lots of rich people like that, which has meant that the London top-end market has gone crazy. Um, I think Knight Frank was talking about 30% in the last year, absolutely phenomenal increase mm. in top-end properties. But that is a micro-market all of its own. Yeah. It's not really interest-dependent, in my view. It's, it's, it's dependent on other things. There's no, no big mortgages. You're not going to £20 million mortgage to get a £20 million house. It's been done by cash, because these people yeah. are billionaires, and there's lots of rich Russians. But then, of course, you've got the kind of the other Eastern European immigration, and you know, London wouldn't function without the um, Polish and the Kosovan and whatever coming over and you know, populating our plumbing and our mm -hmm. restaurants and, and thank God they're here. But they need places to live and they're actually helping the buy-to-let investor fill their properties with you know, quite reasonable tenants with fully employed status. So you know, is that kind of foreign infiltration which is backing the, top, the bottom end of the market? Because um, obviously first-time buyers are not so prevalent. It's the buy-to-let market supporting the, um, the bottom of the market by renting out to the people who are still waiting to become buyers. 
I think actually I don't disagree much with what John's saying, but it sounds to me like he says he's saying that uh, Elvis may show up on the moon in 2008, but not in 2007. So I just like to mention why I think we're going to see Elvis this year, <laughs> and, and, and that is um, again it has to do with cycles. And one indicator I like is I like to look at the price of the builders, and in the U.S. the builders peaked um, about a year before the uh, the actual prices started dropping. And we've seen a nice peak in builders here in the UK. If you look at builders, the ones I like to look at are Barrett, Persimmon, um, Wimpy, and um, Belford Beatty. And from these I compose an index, and this index peaked in February this year. So it's now been about five months since the peak. I would expect the market to start following the builders down somewhere between six and twelve months after that peak. So we're now in that time frame. And we could, in my view, start seeing a peak in prices and the beginnings of the slide. Now when might that turn into something severe enough to be talking crash? Well maybe we agree. Two thousand eight is maybe the year, the earliest year, where people would legitimately be talking about crash. But we may be seeing the beginnings of a price slide in 2007. Yes, uh, the, the only thing is that I think to precipitate a marked correction, you're going to have to have a significant rise in interest rates. And I, from what I understand about the argument, you have, okay, the builders might have reached their peak and started falling. Mm -hmm. Right, um, that may be the case, and that. Um, but for me, that won't. It, it, you know, that will not mean that the property market will crash in a year or two years' time, unless we have this interest rate effect. Yeah. Because I still believe the property prices that we have now are supported by the lower level of interest rates we've got in the economy. So I'm going on the interest rate argument, and, and I say if interest rates go up, then those um, stock market people are probably being pretty clever getting out quick. Um, but if interest rates stay level, they're just stuck in there because I think there's still more room for more growth. Okay, well, gents, uh, thank you very much. Uh, John, do you want to? Do you have a website or something if people want to consult you about anything that you give out? Or yes, it's um, quite simple. It's Rigglesworth with dot uh, com with one g. With one g. There you go. <laughs> Rigglesworth dot com with one g. And Mike, my site is www globaledgeinvestors.com and people can come on and see a link into the charts and see how these builders are doing. By the way, just one final comment on that. It's not magically going to happen. The builders aren't going to drop and automatically the property market will follow it down. The reason it works is because the price of the builders is reflecting sentiment and if sentiment begins to crumble then the willingness of buy to let investors continue in going on paying these high prices and accepting low yields, that may change. One last question, John. I hear your argument about the interest rates. Are you advising your son to buy a flat, or are you saying, wait a couple of years? No, he's irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> he's, got, he's not ready to be a homeowner yet. He, he doesn't know what he's going to do next week, let alone next month, and he should certainly not invest in property until he has a longer-term horizon. And I think it's, if one buy, um, buy product of the fact that first-time buyers are getting older is that the rental market has been thriving, and I think that's the right market for young people who've not really got a... Um, so we say a fixed pattern in their life yet. It's, I think renting is better than buying. Rents haven't gone up by anything like um, the amount that uh, actual property values have gone up. Do you have any comment on that? Yes, but it's you know, rents have gone up. Mm -hmm. Property values have gone up yet more. Um, okay, that means that yields have fallen. But does does all the landlords that have got properties do they care? No. 
because obviously the property risers have got up and the rental income is covering what the original mortgages were. For new investors, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier on, yields are not probably now sufficient to carry the costs of mortgages and all the management and, and you know, the risk of voice, whatever. So new investors probably are now relying on the appreciation of house prices more than the yield. Um, and they should obviously be aware that that carries its own risk, especially if uh, the scenarios we're talking about do manifest and the property has reached its peak and will start falling. But I'll tell you something that's basically squeezed us into the interview is that um, people sometimes don't realise when you talk about all oh, the house prices, I'm really lucky. I think you said you were lucky because you bought in 94. Mm. But until you start exiting or trading down, you don't necessarily want house prices to go up. You know, I have got a small terraced house which I bought for about 400000 It's now worth 750000 um, but I would like a bigger detached house. The best thing for me, despite the fact I'm an optimist, right, in terms of when I say optimist, house prices go up, I would really like house prices to go fall by half. If house prices across the board go down to half what they are now, I can go to that detached house up the hill in Wimbledon, near SW19. That's what I would like. And then once I've got that big house, and of course I want the house prices to go up. But people sometimes don't realise that they want to go up the ladder and they're trying to get bigger and bigger houses. They don't want house prices to rise. It makes it more difficult. It's only the people exiting at the other end that want to see the house prices rise when they, so they can sell at the top. It's a very good point. It's an illusory form of wealth sometimes. Gentlemen, thank you very much. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. I'm sitting in the offices of Money Week and I'm talking to Marin Somerset-Webb, the editor of said publication. She's also the author of Love Is Not Enough, A Smart Woman's Guide to Making Money and Keeping Money. Marin, welcome to the show. Are you advising smart women to buy property at the moment? Absolutely not. Um, my guess is that smart women would be selling property, or certainly property that they're not living in. Why? <laughs> the property market has had an amazing run all over the world, not just in the UK, all over Europe, um, with Germany accepted of course, um, Ireland, all over the US, prices have risen really fast for many years. But they have now reached a, an unsustainable level. And we've seen prices started to come off in the US. We've seen them started to come off in Ireland. You know, you, we've been hearing anecdotal evidence of house prices falling 20, 30% in some areas in Ireland, and certainly in areas of the US, such as Southern Detroit, Ireland. Southern Ireland, Northern absolutely. Ireland yeah. Still rising fast in Northern okay. Ireland. Um, Detroit has been a shocker. Prices down 20% in central Detroit. Um, same in Florida. So looking around the UK and saying house prices will rise here forever is a slightly naive way to look at things. What if I put to you that the... Because um, I bought a flat in mm -hmm. 1993, mm -hmm. uh, and I just by virtue of when I was born, I was very lucky, I caught the bottom of the market, I left university and I bought a flat. Um, and that flat has gone up in... Uh, it's, it's, the annual value of that flat has gone up at exactly the same rate as the money supply growth. Mm -hmm. So what if I said to you that what we're seeing is just a manifestation of money supply growth? A lot of the things that we've been seeing around the world of, of rising asset prices have been related to money supply growth. That's absolutely true. But the main thing with house prices in, in, a, in a smaller market has got to be affordability. 
So it, it doesn't really matter how fast money supply growth rises if earnings aren't rising with it. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, we're seeing very slow earnings growth, and we're seeing people being hit very hard by interest rate rises already. We've had four rises since last summer. Uh, there's another one coming probably tomorrow. And mm-hmm. um, affordability is at, at its worst, I think, ever, actually. But the, okay, the next argument I mm. say is it, the, the overall affordability in proportion to what people earn mm. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the monthly payments, while interest rates are historically low, I mean, people, they're rising, but they're still low. They're still rising an awful lot, and they are not cheap anymore. You know, look, at the, look at the fixes that people took out about two years ago. Yeah. They're, it, they're, you get varying estimates at the moment, mm. but between one and two million mortgages are going to be reset in the next six months. Yeah. And they're going to be reset at levels about 2% higher. So two million families, worst case, are going to see their mortgage payments rise by about 40%. And they're also going to be hit with massive um, charges at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, that can't not have an effect on the economy as a whole, but also on house prices. People with that, with it's, it's, it's the cheap money of two years ago and of the last, of, say, a year ago that has driven up house prices. Money is no longer cheap and mortgage repayments are going up. And then you have to look, look down at the lower part of the market, mm-hmm. look down at the subprime area. Now, subprime is a business that's absolutely exploded in the UK over the last five years. We didn't really have a subprime market for mortgages before By that. By subprime, you mean self-cert, effectively? It, yeah, effectively. Yeah. Effectively. You know, I saw um, about six months ago, driving down the M4, I saw a big sign on the side of the road. It said, lost your payslip? Call this number to get a new one. And I thought, well, why on earth would you do that? I mean, if you lost your payslip, you'd call your employer and ask for another one, wouldn't you? <laughs> and I said to my husband, I said, that is so weird. And he said, oh, for heaven's sake, they're, they're selling fake payslips. And that, of course, is exactly what it is. And there's now beginning to be a bit of a scandal about this. People call these numbers, they get fake payslips, and they use those as backup for their self-certification. A Welsh friend of mine, I have to say, buys houses in Newport and Mm. gets the deposit on his credit card. Yeah, (laughs) this is quite common. Yeah. And it's, it's horrible. It's horrible because pe- it means that people are effectively in negative equity from the second they sign the transfer papers because once you add in their legal fees and their stamp duty and all this kind of thing, they've paid much more for the, for the house than they could sell it for tomorrow. And if prices are falling, which, by the way, they are in Wales, um, that's not a good situation to be in, particularly when you're paying 16% in your credit card bill. Mm. Anyway, so these, in fact, there's a pr- report out today from the FSA where they very heavily criticised a lot of the subprime lenders uh, for um, allowing self-certification or actively encouraging people to take out self-certification mortgages when there doesn't appear to be any justification for it. Um, now, the subprime market now makes up, I think, about between 6 and 8%. Again, these numbers are quite difficult mm. to, to get accurate. Between 6 and 8% of the UK mortgage market. And of that 6 to 8%, around 10% are in arrears by three months or so, which sort of counts as delinquency. Now, that is a, that's not a small number. That's a big number. And if there are that many people in that much trouble at the bottom end of the market, that's got to ricochet up through the rest of the market at some point. We know repossessions are rising very fast. Um, Once once that repossession supply gets back on the market, the supply-demand imbalance, the tension there falls slightly. So there's a, there's a lot of elements in the market at the moment that suggest that now wouldn't be a good time to get into the vital life business. So if you're a um, person who's got his or her mortgage uh, up for renewal in the next few months, mm. your house has gone up considerably in value, 
um, it's going to be it's going to impact your monthly spending money when your mortgage comes up. Would you advise them to sell? I think the good? business of selling a house that you live in is a very tricky one. If you can afford your monthly repayments, you're living in a house that you want to live in, and you've no particular reason to move, you, you probably shouldn't be betting on the property market. You know, all the signs are that, that property prices will fall over the next few years, but if you're planning on staying in your house for 10 years and you can afford your payments, this is not, not really your problem. Mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, you have a house that you live in that you intend to stay in and you also have five buy-to-let investments, uh, you might want to look at the yield you're getting, which may well be negative, it is for an awful lot of people at the moment, and think to yourself, is, th is this really an investment that you want? And uh, if you, I mean, my husband and I, for example, we were moving anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so we sold our house a few months ago and haven't bought another one. Um, you got out right at the top, if we are at the top. Oh, now. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so. And your friends say you're mad. Oh, absolutely. Everyone says we're mad. Um, you know, family ring us all the time and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're wasting all this money. Rent is dead money. But, you know, rent is only dead money if house prices are rising. House prices are falling. It's um, buying that's dead money. There are people who, who sold to rent, say, a year ago or even two years ago, mm. who now cannot afford to buy the house that they... Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of those people. And that's why I say the house that you live in mm -hmm. is a house. It's not an investment. It's a home. So I absolutely wouldn't recommend anybody ever sold a house that they lived in with the intention of waiting for prices to fall and then buying the same house back again or a house two streets down. Or, you know, if you can afford your payments, there's no reason not to stick with it. I mean, I can see a correction coming in the subprime mm -hmm. uh, area. I can also see a correction coming in the buy-to-let. There are mm -hmm. just so many buy-to-lets and they no longer make sense uh, in the yield in relation to the actual And cost. certainly you've seen already that the prices of flats in a lot of city centres are falling. Yeah. And where, where house prices are still rising, the prices of a, of a flat is rising much, much, much more slowly than that of a house. You know, 45% of new builds last year were flats. We don't need flats. If I, I live in Wandsworth, I'm just sick of the flats. We don't need any more flats. But um, now, uh, but but what about these jolly, sensible uh, family houses in in upper middle class areas such as Kensington and Chelsea and Fulham and these mm -hmm. kind of places? Well, you know, Fulham is cheap actually, relatively speaking. Fulham is cheap. If I was going to buy a house in London right now, I'd buy one in Fulham. Um, but that, that's by the way. Um, there is no way that mo that sections of the housing market can dislocate from each other for too long. You know, people always say, well, the London market will never go down because London's different. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's not. And people always say, well, a house, you can never go wrong with a house in Kensington because prices will always keep going up. Well, it's not possible for the price of a house to keep going up indefinitely while the price of a flat next door is falling. Because it, your buyers aren't stupid. Look, look across the Paddington Basin. Mm -hmm. Now... In Paddington, you can't buy a house for love nor money. You're just on the edge of Langstie Gate, you're on the edge of the park. There's nothing for sale. There are no houses. If you find a house, it's four million quid. However, what you can do is nip down the road to Paddington Basin or any of the other new flat development there, and you can buy a couple of two-bed flats for half a million quid each. So eventually, and if house prices don't go down soon, I'll be doing exactly this, you will be able to go to Paddington Basin, buy one of the many million flats for sale, because as far as I can see, they are all for sale, buy two next to each other, knock them together. Hey, presto, four-bedroom family home. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's extreme. But yeah. the point is that people aren't necessarily buying a particular kind of house or a particular kind, kind of flat. What we're doing is we're buying space. So at some point, the price of a four-bedroom flat in a four-bedroom house in Langster Gate has got to equalise to a degree with the price of two two-bedroom flats down the road, if you see what I mean. So how do you, what's your indicator? How do you assess when property is fairly priced? Is it cheaper to rent or is it cheaper to buy? Uh, right now, in most places, it's cheaper to rent. 
than to buy. This flat I keep referring back to in 1994, yeah. the, that has gone up, I don't know, three, four times. It was in Fulham, by the way, so even though it's gone up three, four times, it's still <laughs> undervalued compared to everywhere else. Relatively it, speaking. The, the, it relatively actually turns its overvalued. <laughs> okay. But the rent on it is, uh, it's gone up in 15 years. It must have gone up from maybe 1,000 a month to 13 or 1,400 a month. So Yeah, see, that's pathetic. Yeah. Um, and if you were go if you were if you were new to London now and you were looking around and you looked at your income and you looked at what you could afford, you would find that you could afford to rent somewhere much nicer than you could afford to buy. I mean, I live in a house now that I would never be able to afford to buy in my wildest dreams, but um, I can afford to rent it, and that tells me that this is not a good time to buy. It's not the only thing that tells me that, but it's certainly one thing. And now, if you, I mean, to me, it all hinges on interest rates, and while interest rates stay low. You know, it's still affordable, but but interest rates are not low. Well, interest rates have gone up massively okay, in the last but, couple but, of I mean, years. They're not ten percent or twelve. They're not ten percent, but it is all relative. It's not about the absolute number; it's about the degree of change. So, if people's if people's payments have doubled, that's the same as rates going from five percent to ten percent. All right, but if you're Merv, but, uh, yes. or whoever you are in the, in the Bank of England, mm. and you look at mo- and you measure inflation in terms of money supply mm-hmm. growth rather than in terms of the CPI, which is you know, slightly fraudulent in many respects, or you even measure inflation, you know, by the old um, RPI. Mm. I mean, they have to put interest rates up more. Oh, yeah, absolutely they do, and they will. I mean, we know that the Bank of England is worried about the money supply, you know, this has now come out Mm. in the minutes. Um, And we also know that they officially look at CPI, and we know that CPI is well above 2%, and we can be pretty sure that that's going to continue. We know that food prices are going up, and the weather we've had recently is only making it worse. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw the news this morning about there being only 18,000 trays of cauliflowers in the UK. Normally there are 40,000 at this time of the year. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to import a lot of cauliflowers and the like, (laughs) (laughs) and that's going to push up food prices in general. We yeah. know that grain prices are rising very fast. Um, you know, the biofuels revolution is doing none of us any favours. No. It's not doing, uh, not doing consumers or the environment any favours, as far as I can see. So we know that that's in there. We can be pretty sure that oil prices aren't going to fall anytime soon. If anything, they'll probably rise. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential political nasties out there that could push oil prices up. And so inflation isn't going to come down. Of course, the other thing to look at there is uh, China and India. Yeah. You know, we know that wages have started going up in China and India, particularly in India. Cauliflower demand is high. Cauliflower onion demand is very high. Is in it India. really? Yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's terrible trouble there with the price of onions going up. You know, onions are a staple food in India, and a lot of people at the lower ends of, of the income tree are suffering enormously from the rising price of, in, of onions. Sounds silly, but it's, it's not. Yeah. It's actually quite a big deal. Yeah. Anyway, so we know that... Um, the price of goods coming in from China and India certainly can't keep falling forever, and it has already stabilized and in many cases is rising a little bit. So the deflation that we've been importing from China and India that has been offsetting our rising service prices in the UK, that's over as, as a dynamic. So quite soon we may even start importing inflation from Asia. So that's going to keep our inflation numbers rising, and that means that, as you say, interest rates have got to keep going up. And I'm really rambling now. But no, 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 you're not at all. I mean, it's, it's, I'm just thinking, oh, what a grim scenario lies ahead. But I do have to tell you one yeah. more thing, which is that, you know, we have regular roundtables here yeah. at Money Week. Every month we have a roundtable, yeah. and every six to eight months we have a dedicated property roundtable, because mm-hmm. obviously I'm really very interested in that sort of thing. So we get in, you know, John Rigglesworth and Ed Mead and we all these people. We interviewed on the show, actually, Rigglesworth. In they come, and they sit around, and everyone explains to me why it is that house prices will go up forever. And I said to them at the last one, I said, okay, house prices will go up forever unless what? What is it that will be the thing that makes all the bulls suddenly throw up their hands and go, oh, this is nasty? 
and they all said interest rates at 6%. A lot of them are now claiming that they didn't, but we have it on tape. Interest rates at <laughs> 6%, they said that will, that will cause this market to, to get to the edge. Yeah. And where are we now? 5.5, we may well be at 5.75 tomorrow, and the market is pricing in 6%, and it's pricing in a 40-50% chance of 6 and a quarter by the end of the year. So even by the standards of the bulls, um, as recorded on the Money Week tape recorder, mm-hmm. there's a lot of trouble ahead. But what do you do? I mean, if you're at the Bank of England, what do you do? Do you bring down the housing market, or do you uh, have rampant inflation? Or both, yeah. probably, looks likely. I think, well, you may well get both, but I think if you're the Bank of England, you don't have a choice but to keep pushing up rates. You probably, That's more important, is it? Yeah, I think so. You probably have to be ready to bring them down quickly once you've achieved your goal. Right. Um, but obviously the housing market can't go on like this forever. And can we expect another fudge of the figures, maybe a new measure of inflation from Mr <laughs> Brown, do you think, or Mr <laughs> Darling? I don't think so. I mean, the CPI is used so widely across Europe that, that getting rid of it would represent a big step back from European harmonisation. So I think we're stuck with the CPI. But it may be that the Bank of England uh, would like to bring in another measure alongside CPI for for their interest rate decisions. <laughs> <laughs> what, you're, you're just destroyed just, by this wave of misery. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, just, it's very grim, isn't it? The outlook is, it, is very grim. I think it's very grim, yeah. Um, and I, I think that, that the British have quite a big shock coming. Um, I think the Irish are already having their shock, and certainly the Americans are. And the British are already feeling the squeeze, and we've talked about the lower end of the market. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw a, a survey out a few weeks ago about Kingston-on-Thames, where it turned out that one-third of the repossessions in the area were from subprime mortgages, um, which shouldn't be a particular surprise, given that... I didn't think Kingston had subprime well, people in it. Of course it does. I mean, <laughs> people look at somewhere like that, and they say, well, this is a very affluent area, yeah. so why would anyone be in trouble? But, of course, in affluent areas, in fact, more people are in trouble than elsewhere, because just because it's, just because it's got a lot of stockbrokers, doesn't mean it doesn't have a McDonald's and mm-hmm. people working in McDonald's and all that kind of low-income group, but, but the low-income group find it even harder to afford houses there than they would, you know, say in Leeds. So your people are much more vulnerable there. In London, we're supported by a kind of underclass, if you like, of people, mm. w- mostly foreigners, doing the jobs that the English don't want to do mm. at prices that the English are not prepared to work for. Mm. There does appear to be an endless supply of people who would like to live and work in England. But the thing that doesn't really hold up for me is there is a, a general view among the, the housing bulls that the high level of immigration is something that will always keep house prices mm-hmm. up. Um, we I have. always told Russians, and I keep saying to, I've interviewed an estate agent, mm. interviewed, and I said, how many of your buyers are Russian? And they go, none. <laughs> <laughs> the Russians are at the very, very, yeah. very top end of the market. Um, so, you know, they're buying three houses a year, and I don't know exactly who they're buying them from, probably from, a, well, who knows? Who knows? But I, I doubt that very many estate agents see many Russians come through their doors. But the, the whole idea of there being a shortage of supply is, yeah, it's probably true, um, as a very, very long-term thing. But... You know, Japan's a very small island with not very much land. Didn't stop house prices falling for, what, 15 years? Do you see a similar scenario here? Mm, I see house prices probably falling for quite a long time in quite the same way as Japan, I don't know. But I don't, I don't believe that shortage of supply and a high level of immigration can mean that there's no cycle left in, left in the housing market. And what is your outlook for the property television programme? Well, you know, there's <laughs> What's a, happen to there is already a really wonderful programme on one of the channels called um, uh, Selling Property Abroad, 
which follows the trials and tribulations of people who found they've made a horrible mistake buying a condo in Spain and has them trying to sell it. Now, my guess is that in two or three years we'll see something like that focusing on the UK market. Wow. You know, there'll be how to sell your house and there'll be programs about, um, you know, decorating it in neutral styles and pricing it to go and um, that kind of thing. It's interesting, you, you, you were talking about uh, the, you know, there's a wake-up call coming for a lot of Brits mm -hmm. that, that we aren't ready for. What's in store for the, for the middle class in all this? Well, I think, I think that one can get very hung up on the subprime market, and that is interesting, and it is where the trouble is going to appear first. But if you look at the middle classes, there's already signs of pain there as well, as a result of the constant interest rate rises, and the fact that earnings have not been rising particularly fast, except for in a few, few um, golden professions. And I have heard recently, I wrote an article about this in the Sunday Times, about how I was hearing that, that some various levels of the middle classes were getting squeezed, and since then I've been hearing endlessly from art dealers, boot dealers, horse dealers, all the things that represent the middle class, mm -hmm. saying that um, horse prices, for example, have fallen about 30% since February. Uh, just your you normal riding horse, not your Zara Phillips kind of horse, just your you normal riding mm -hmm. horse. Same with second-hand boats. Um, art dealers have been saying that they're having trouble getting rid of, not, not very high-end art yeah. at all, but, you know, your 500-800 pound prints mm -hmm. not selling anymore. All these things suggest that the purchasing power of the middle classes is falling, and you can only put that at the door of um, their rising mortgage costs. Are you jealous of Brown coming into the job just as well, he is? getting a free house. Well... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, um, am no, I but I mean, he's kind of got out just in time on one side of things, but maybe he's got in... He has got out just in time of being chancellor, I would have thought, but I think he'd be... Um, it would be wishful thinking for him to think he won't get the blame. The... I think his decision to sell that gold is the is the one that will haunt him forever Absolute and ever. Absolutely, shocker, shocker, and sell it by auction as well when he was specifically advised not to. Um, but I mean, it's really good people because if it goes to you know thousand or two thousand dollars, everyone's just going to go you, Burke. They are already. <laughs> they are already. Brown's bottom. That's known as. Did you know that? <laughs> the, the gold price is known as Brown's bottom. Brilliant. <laughs> Merrin, thank you very much. As we close, um, why don't you give out the website address so that uh, people can... Uh, you can look at the magazine on uh, moneyweek.com and um, you can look up about my book on loversnotenough.co.uk. And is it good for men? Can men read it as well? Absolutely. Men should read it. In fact, all, everyone should read it. It's a very, very simple guide to, to finance, but it is very pink, so men reading it might want to cover it with brown paper. <laughs> the basic premise is, um, is basically spend less than you earn. Is that the pretty much? Yeah, that covers it. And uh, is that Akbar's rule? Ten percent of what you earn is yours. Have you ever heard that? Um, the richest man in Babylon. It's a, it's a, it's a very good rule. Is yeah. that, is, do you Pay yourself first. Um, it, it basically explains how you can spend less than you earn and still live a perfectly reasonable lifestyle. And it also explains to you how to be never ripped off by the financial services industry. And it also, and this is a, this is quite ambitious, but it tells you how to be happy. Ah, can you give us, a, in one sentence, how do you do that? Um, secure don't, don't look at the future of Britain's economy. No, uh, secure your finances so that um, uh, you're, you are well-fed, well-housed and well-clothed. Uh, then stop worrying about money and uh, get involved in your community. It really does appear to be that simple. Oh, and be married. That helps a lot. Does it? Mm -hmm. oh, OK, I'll bear that in mind. Mary, thanks very much. Pleasure. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, 
why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.